Well, good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. Boy, if my very, very Southern Baptist grandmother could see me today. (laughs) I want to thank Nick for the invitation to be your preacher today. Uh, I am honored to be here and to be your guest preacher. And uh, don't you just love the enthusiasm and the sincerity that Kent brings to the worship. Don't you just love that? (laughs) Joyce and I leave here thinking, wow, Kent's got oomph in it, and it's so sincere. It's so sincere. It really, it really is. Well, you may want to put me in my place like my wife did one time. When I was a student, I preached at a little church Tennessee. We had a little lady there named Sister Sally, and one Sunday she came out and she said, oh, Brother Campbell, you are a model preacher. Well, I didn't get a lot of compliments in those days, so I bragged all the way back to church, uh, to school that night. Oh, Joyce, Sister Sally said I was a model preacher all week long. I'm a model preacher. I'm a model preacher. Finally, Joyce got tired of that. She went to my office and got the dictionary and looked up the word model, and she said, read it. And it said, model a small imitation of the real thing. (laughs) Sister Sally told me one Sunday I was a warm preacher. I figured that out myself. It meant I wasn't so hot. (laughs) I was down in southern Kentucky preaching, and a little lady told me, She said, oh, Brother Campbell, you are one of the great preachers in Kentucky. Woo! That put me in an elite group. I came home that night, and I said to Joyce, Joyce, you know what? There's a little lady in southern Kentucky tonight told me that I was one of the great preachers in Kentucky. Joyce, how many great preachers do you think there are in Kentucky? And she said, there's one less than you think, fella. (laughs) So, I'm sorry. (laughs) Nick's to blame for getting you a preacher. That's a small imitation of the real thing. And one's not all that hot and not all that great. So you need to talk to him about that next Sunday, all right? Thank you for letting me be here today. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are going to look into your word and see what it has to say about when we don't understand. Father, so much happens to us that we don't understand. And during those times, we asked you to be our good shepherd. And when we don't understand, lead us out of darkness, lead us out of trouble, lead us out of fear, lead us out of fear of death and death itself. And bring us to the fullness of life eternal with you. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. The good-looking young man that you see on the screen is Craig Mullins. I have known him all of his life. He grew up with my children. His mother was my secretary at one time. And if you know Craig, you know that he was one of the most celebrated football players in northern Kentucky. 
He went on to Georgetown College, and there he was the star quarterback. And for 16 years, after he got his education and went back to Georgetown, for 16 years he was the very successful quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at Georgetown College. They won two national titles, and they went to the finals four times. In 1999, the NAIA named him Coordinator of the Year. And in 2011, the NAIA named him Assistant Coach of the Year. He was inducted into Northern Kentucky Athletic Directors Hall of Fame in 2004. And on June the 6th, 2015, he was, de- he was inducted into the Northern Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame. Craig Mullins was a very successful football player. He was a very successful coach. But I want to tell you, he was a far better person than he was a coach or a football player. Sports figures today, and we could start naming them, they're good at what they do, but they're not good people, and we could name them. Greg was good at what he did, but he was a far better person, a far better man. In June, uh, January of 2013, he became the offensive coordinator at Moorhead State University, a Division I school, and he told me, LD, my dream job at a Division I school. In December of 2014, he was diagnosed with four-stage lung cancer. He had never used tobacco in any form in his life. The cancer was so bad when they found it, it had already spread to his hip, and he had to have a hip replacement during all of that. After several months of treatments, he had a full-body scan, only to discover that the cancer had spread to his brain. Folks, I want to tell you about his attitude. When I learned that the cancer had spread to his brain, I sent him a Facebook message, and uh, it must have been a downer because he sent me one back saying, Eldie, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I'm not. I'm not. Don't be discouraged. I visited him at the UK Medical Center on, December the 20, on De- April the 25th, 2015, and he and I had a wonderful conversation. And I told him, I said, Craig, I don't understand this anymore than you do. I don't understand it. And he would say to me, Eldie, what do I do about? And we would talk about that. Eldie, what do I do about? And we would talk about it. Eldie, what do I do about? And we'd talk about that. And then he said, Eldie, what do I do about my boys? And folks, it hurt like crazy to seem like that. I had to leave, but I didn't want to leave. And it hurt like crazy to see what he was going through. And I kept it together until I got out of his room and I leaned up against the wall and sobbed. The cancer progressed very rapidly. And on Monday, May the 11th, 2015, at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning, Craig went to be with the Lord. He was 45 years old. There is so much that happens to us that we don't understand. Why so much cancer? Why do good people suffer? Why do we hurt one another? Why can't we just get along? Why are some of our strongest and most earnest prayers not answered the way that we want to? Why are there so many accidents? How do you deal with suicide? Accidents and suicide are probably the two hardest to understand. You can never get beyond the accident or get beyond the suicide. 
And I'm looking into the faces of many of you who don't understand the tragedies that's happened to you. A child is killed. A teenager in the very prime of life dies. In the last three years that I was first church, I buried four young people in their 20s. How do you explain that to a mama and a daddy? A baby dies or a baby is born with horrible problems that can't be cured. Not long ago, I buried a 34-year-old mother with cancer and three children left. Why? A terrible, painful divorce that left a permanent emotional scars on everybody that was involved. A wonderful spouse, a parent, suffering from Alzheimer's and don't even know who you are. There is so much that happens to us that we do not understand. And where do we go then for courage and strength and poise when that storm breaks in all of its fury and we're crying out in the night, we don't understand why. I want to go to Matthew, the 14th chapter. I'm going to use the English Standard Version. Uh, That's the one Paul used, and it's good enough for me. And... Your preacher can use that other Bible if he wants to. <clears throat> it's in your notes, and I think it's, it'll be on the screen. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Jesus said, come, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him. Note that. Worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now I want you to look at some phrases in that text. Beaten by the waves, the wind was against them, they were terrified, they cried out in fear. Peter said, it says of Peter, he was afraid, and then Peter says, Lord, save me. Now, folks, the disciples of Jesus did not understand why they were about to die because Jesus had told them, get in the boat and go to the other side. See, the disciples almost lost their lives in the will of God. (laughs) Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Well, sure he did. However, they were safer in that storm, in the will of God, than out of the will of God on the land. Amen? Don't judge your security by the basis of your circumstances. Now, there are many Christians today who have this mistaken idea, if I just go to Jesus and be obedient to him, we're going to have smooth sailing all the way. And you hear it on television all the time. It is the prosperity gospel, and it is a lie. 
It's not true. Obedience is no guarantee of being, having adversity. Amen? The disciples, folks, get this, were doing exactly what Jesus told them, and now they're going to die, and they don't understand. But Jesus came to them. (laughs) Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. John Ortberg has written the book, If You Want to Walk on the Water, Get Out of the Boat. Isn't that a great title? The title's better than the book, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I'll let you borrow my copy. But now that the storm has their full attention, Jesus decided it was time the disciples got to know a little bit more about the guy who was piloting this thing. It's like this, he reassures them. You can safely place your destiny in my hands. Take courage. It is me. It is I. Do not be afraid. When you don't understand, Jesus says, (laughs) don't be afraid. Why? Let me pull three truths out of this that I learned. Three truths. When you don't understand, don't be afraid to trust God. When the storms come on you and you don't understand, don't be afraid to trust God. And I have learned in the last six months that God is closest to us and more powerfully with us when we are hurting. Maybe it's because we're more open to God when we're hurting. But I like to believe it's because our Heavenly Father wants to be near His children when they are hurting. Amen? Amen. Just like we parents want to be with our kids when they hurt. Our Heavenly Father wants to be with us and is with us in those hurts. John Ordberg in his book says they didn't fully grasp it yet, but God was visiting them in the water-walking flesh. Matthew wants his readers to know that Jesus, that Jesus comes when least expected, 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the storm. <laughs> and he quotes Dale Burner said, According to Holy Scripture, human extremity is the frequent meeting place with God. That is a great sentence. That is a great sentence. That was worth the price of the book. <laughs> Holy Scripture, Holy, according to Holy Scripture, human extremity is the frequent place of meeting with God. And he goes on to say, those divinely appointed defining moments will come to you and me. And if you're not looking for him, you might just miss him. Hmm. The song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, has become one of the most popular gospel songs of all times. And the guy that you see on the screen, Tommy Dorsey, wrote it in 1932. Tommy Dorsey is known or was known as the father of black gospel music. And the song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, established Dorsey as one of the architects of gospel music. In 1932, he was to go to do a concert in St. Louis. He was the featured soloist. But he and his wife were expecting their first child. And he did not want to leave. He said later on, something was telling me to stay, but I had a contract. I had a commitment. I had to go. So he went. During the concert, 
A Western Union telegram arrived at the church for him. It had four words on it that broke his heart and changed his life forever. It said, your wife just died. He quickly returned to Chicago only to learn that right before she died, she had given birth to a little baby boy. That little boy lived two days and then he died. Dorothy, Dorsey buried Nettie and his little baby boy in the same coffin. And then he went home and he locked himself away for days and days and days. He did not want to see anybody. He thought God had been unfair to him. He did not want to serve this God anymore, let alone write songs that praised him. So he locked himself in. But one day, he sat down at the piano and his hands began to browse the keys. And he said this, he said, something happened. He said, I felt as I could reach out and touch God. And I found myself playing a melody I'd never heard And suddenly the words came into my head and the words just seemed to fill my mind and bring me peace. And this is what he he wrote. Precious Lord, take my hand, sing it with me. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storms, through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. Dorsey said, I learned when I was in my deepest grief, when I felt furthest from God, was when I was most open to his restoring power. When we are in the storms of life and we feel God is far from us and we're far from God and God can handle that, that is when God is most near us. Folks, that is one of the great messages of the Bible. Lo, I am with you. What's the next word? Always. Always. So when you don't understand, don't be afraid to trust God. The second one I want to pull out is this. When you don't understand, don't be afraid to celebrate life. Let me show you what I mean. Don't be afraid afraid to celebrate life. One of the things (laughs) that I like about the Apostle Peter, not only here in Matthew, the 14th chapter, but all through the Bible, the Apostle Peter was one of the apostles, probably the only apostle, that was so full of life that he was on the cutting edge. This is the only one that walked on the water, folks. Don't blame him for sinking. He's the only one that did it. (laughs) And that's the way he lived life. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Lord, let me in on this. Woo! I want to do this. Let me experience this, man. And he did. When you don't understand the storms of life, all their fury, get out of the boat and celebrate life. Look what Ordenberg said. Here is the deep truth about water walking. The fear will never go away. Why? Because each time I grow, it will involve going into new territories and taking on new challenges. And each time I do that, 
I will experience fear again. As Susan Jeffers writes, the fear will never go away as long as I continue to grow. (laughs) Never. Isn't that good news? Now you can give up trying to make fear go away. Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese. It's a package deal. And each time you get out of the boat, you will become a little more likely to get out the next time. That's a good sentence. It's not that the fear goes away, but that you get used to living with the fear. You realize that it does not have power to destroy you. Woo! When you don't understand, don't be afraid to celebrate life. You remember Irma Brombeck? Boy, I tell you, when Irma Brombeck died, a lot of sermon material died with her because I, I used to use her stuff regularly. She wrote 11 bestsellers. And one of them was different than all the other books of humor that she wrote. It was called, I Want to Grow Hair, I Want to Grow Up, I Want to Go to Boise. And the title of that book came out of her visit to Camp Sunshine in Payson, Arizona. Camp Sunshine was a camp for children that were struggling and dealing and battling with cancer. And that title came out of a little boy's comment to his counselor. He said, my three wishes are, I want to grow hair, I want to grow up, and I want to go to Boise. And her testimony is a glowing example of the hope manifest among those countless boys and girls who had to grow up very quickly and had to learn very quickly to learn how to live with the devastating effects of cancer and learn how very quickly to seize the moment that they had, smell the roses that were there, and celebrate the life that they had that day. Those of us who were involved with Greg during those last months... We can tell you that he celebrated life up to the very end. He did. He did. Brahma Bombeck, she said, At first I didn't think I would find much humor among the campers, but I discovered to my own spiritual growth how close humor is to love, hope, and faith. And as one teenager said to me, Would you be happier if we cried all the time? That book just vibrates with the exuberance of those kids who faced and overcame the fear of death, daily kissing the joy that they had that day, daily kissing the life that they had because their life was fleeting from them. Let me read one paragraph out of her book, and it says it all. Kids with cancer seem to have the gift of cutting through the what-ifs and the what-should-have-beens and the what-might-have-beens and get directly to the what-is-now. Bert was five years old, fighting neuroplastoma. He loved to draw. One day when a visitor asked him, are you going to be an artist when you grow up? And Bert replied, matter-of-factly, I'm an artist now. Hmm. He was celebrating the life that he had. So what are we waiting for? Even in the storms of life, That life that we have is God's gift to us. And when we don't understand, don't be afraid to celebrate life. Get out of the boat. Seize it. Taste it. Experience it. Savor it. And thank God for that day, that life that you have, even in the storms. So when you don't understand, don't be afraid to trust God. Don't be afraid to celebrate life. And then we come to the toughie. 
Don't be afraid to face death. When that storm hit the apostles, they were terrified. They were afraid that they were going to die. And at three o'clock in the morning, along comes Jesus. And he calms the storm within them and the storm without, the storm on the sea and the storms in their hearts. And look what happened. When he calmed that storm in their hearts and on the sea, look what happened, folks. Look at verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. Worship. Worship. That's exactly what Kent was telling us today. Worship. It's about him. Even in the storms, it's about him. You know, sometimes we talk about being scared to death. Well, we Christians don't have to be scared to death. Because God has promised us. He is there even in the storm. Yea, though I walk, say it with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And when the storm of death comes, I want you to remember the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Let me tell you what happened to me. I'm seeing Craig at the University Hospital. I traveled to Knoxville, Tennessee for the graduation of Johnson University where I serve on the board of trustees and as the chair I'm always involved in the commencement service and I was traveling down I-75 and folks I want to tell you God and I were having an argument. (laughs) You ever argue with God? God and I were having an argument and I was telling him how I felt. I was telling him what I thought about it all and I was angry. I wasn't angry at Craig, no. But I was angry at Satan and sin and the curse for robbing him of his strong body, cutting a life that was so significant and so meaningful and taking it. And I was angry. And it was as if I heard a voice in my mind saying, LD, LD, hush, hush, hush. Listen to the song that's being played on your iPod through your radio. Hush, listen. And this is what I heard. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sing it with me. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high. Alleluia. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Alleluia. And that song went on to say, Lives again our glorious King. Alleluia. Where, O death, is now thy sting. Alleluia. Once he died our soul to save. Alleluia. Where thy victory, O grave, alleluia. Made like him, like him we rise, alleluia. Hail the resurrection, thou, alleluia. King of glory, soul of bliss, alleluia. Everlasting life is this, alleluia. And after listening to that, I got into an argument with the devil. Do you ever talk back to the devil? Try it sometime. He'll run. I talked back to the devil. I said, listen to me, Satan, you liar. You are a liar. 
You are an adversary. You are a liar. And I want to tell you, Satan, you haven't won here. Jesus didn't die just to save Craig's soul. He died to save his body as well. And when Jesus comes back, (laughs) Craig's body, and the body of your loved one that died from cancer or diabetes or a stroke or Alzheimer's or diabetes or a suicide or an accident, those bodies will be raised new and glorious. And everything that the curse and Satan and sin had made horrible and painful in their bodies will be undone and their victory over sin and Satan and death will be absolute in Jesus. Because the resurrection changes everything. Death changes. It used to be the end, now it's the beginning. The cemetery changes. People once went there to say goodbye, now they go there to say we'll meet again. (laughs) Even the coffin changes. The casket is no longer a box we hide bodies in, but rather a cocoon in which the body is kept until God sets it free to fly. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, so says Max Licato. He goes on to say we don't like to say goodbye to those we love. But God speaks to you today, and he speaks to all of us who have stood or will stand in the soft dirt near an open grave, and he gives us these triumphant words. I want you to know what happens to a Christian when he dies so that when it happens, you will not be full of sorrow as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and then came back to life again, we can also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him all Christians who have died. You see what happened? God transforms our hopeless grief into hopeful, filled grief. How? Look what Paul says. He will bring back with him all the Christians who have died. For 38 years, I said from the pulpit at First Church, those who believe in Jesus never see each other for the last time. Say it with me. Those who believe in Jesus never see each other for the last time. Say it like you mean it. Those who believe in Jesus never see each other for the last time. And when you don't understand, don't be afraid to trust God. It's I. It's I. I'm here. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. The storm's coming. But it's I. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid to celebrate life. You got that day. Get out of the boat and live it. And then don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to face death. Why? Because Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in life that we do not understand. And help us when we don't understand to trust you to listen to you and hear you saying 
3 o'clock in the morning when that storm is breaking in all of its fury and we're crying out, why? Help us to hear you say, it's I. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And Father, wrap your tender arms around us in those confusing times. And Lord, help us to trust you even in death knowing that those of us who believe in Jesus will never see our loved ones for the last time. And it's in the name of Jesus who is the resurrection and the life that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.